You're listening to the Sioux Falls Startup Stories Podcast. This week, we're talking with the infamous Kevin Tooby, sometimes referred to as the Wireless King. If you don't know his name, Kevin Tooby, you've likely heard of his business, Z Wireless. He's the man behind the conception of one of the largest Verizon retailers in the country. Starting with a single store in the mall and a couple of phones, he grew the company to over 300 stores before taking on his first investment. Kevin's got an incredible story, and as you can imagine, the retail industry isn't exactly easy. But Kevin didn't get his start with wireless phones. Did a little bit of research on it, and you know, October 1st, 2001, um, a month after September 11th, I, I signed a contract with the Empire Mall for a year lease for a dish kiosk and got out there and started uh, slinging Dish TV, Dish Network. And, um, you know, went pretty well. Um, kept things afloat for a while. And uh, about six months into that, um, we, called, we had called the business Wireless Innovations at that time. And, you know, the business model that I was thinking this was going to transcend to was uh, it was going to be Dish Network. It was going to be kind of the Radio Shack, uh, you know, model where you're selling... Um, uh, you know, remote control cars and TVs and, you know, electronics, what have you. So found a store location on 41st Street in Sioux Falls across from Shopco. And um, it, it was Jet Photo previously. Um, and uh, I drove around the block to a couple times as I was going to go in and meet with a landowner the landowner to sign the lease. It was Jack Wrenchler. God bless him, man. Um, the, the, you know, when I looked at it and talked to him about it, he didn't ask me, you know, and I looked at a few locations and, you know, the first thing I got was, well, we'll need to see your financials and we'll have to run a credit bureau and what's your history? And, you know, of course, I didn't have much except about six months at the Empire Mall slinging dish. But Jack, you know, a, a, just a, a, a giant of a man, well-respected in the business community, um, you know, obviously founded Wrenchlers and um, has uh, the Gateway Lounge and several other real estate ventures and um, business ventures. Um, very warm, welcoming, you know, said, you know, what are you doing here, Kevin? And I'm like, well, I'm selling Dish Network and, you know, going to sell some TVs, you know, probably bring in a wireless carrier, you know, because, you know, it's all new um, back in 2000. And um, he's like, all right. And, I mean, he didn't ask anything about financials. And <clears throat> so, you know, drove around the block a couple times. I'm like, Jesus, if it was $1,200 a month, I'm like, this is literally going to bankrupt me if, <laughs> if I fail, you know. And uh, went in, signed the lease, and um, you know, prior to that, um, as it was building up to this, um, I was researching, you know, what vehicles to buy, and you know, just trying to get my finances in a place where, if it fails, you know, we're going to buy a Honda Odyssey van, you know, because at that time, that thing's going to last you ten years, right? And if I needed to file bankruptcy, you know, I was just trying to prepare myself and my family for worst case scenario because. Um, I didn't know how it was going to turn out, and I was, you know, quite, quite um, scared, you know, that it was, you know, we're gonna, it was going to ruin our financials. Looking at Kevin today, it's hard to imagine him being scared. Today, Kevin is the founder and owner of Crescent Venture Capital. 
He also founded the franchise Phone and Fix and CarSwap and a number of real estate and property management ventures as well. It seems as though Kevin is doing really well for himself. Sometimes I'm quick to pass judgment on people. I mean, he probably came from a success and he probably had everything handed to him. I grew up in Sioux Falls area. Um, went to uh, Laura, B. Ann, Laura B. Anderson grade school. Um, parents moved to um, uh, outside of town um, in a trailer court, actually. And um, 1913 Richard Road. What the hell is the name of that trailer court? Um, anyway, it's out by Great Bear. So, um, yeah, so we grew up in a trailer and uh, lived there till about six, sixth grade. Then we moved out to uh, Valley Springs, um, attended school there, um, went to high school in Brandon, um, graduated in 87, went to, um, went straight into the army, you know, had a, had a tumultuous, parents got divorced, had tumultuous, um, uh, you know, kind of childhood, similar story to, I'm sure, a lot of people. And, um, you know, I thought, hey, this is one way to get my head on straight is going to the army. Well, um, what a lot of people don't know is there's a lot of drugs and alcohol in the armed service. So, I did not know that. Yeah. So going from, uh, you know, a, a kind of party environment, you know, growing up in the 80s to wanting to get my head on straight to getting into the army thinking this is going to help turn me around. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it actually worsened my situation a bit. So, you know, from 87 to 89, um, I, I served in the army for two years and on a three year stint, um, got out a little bit early, uh, you know, due to, due to some extracurricular activities and um, got an honorable or general discharge on our honorable services. Um, put it this way, I'm not going to be able to work for the post office anytime soon. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so got out of the Army, moved to California, lived with my mom. She was uh, living out there at the time. Um, you know, kind of went from bad to worse in terms of alcohol and drugs. And, um, you know, when I, when I got to the age of uh, 20, 23, I was like, I got to get back to South Dakota. You know, I, I just felt that um, all my friends had gone to college and, um, you know, were starting their careers and I'm just, you know, starting to get sober, <laughs> you know, and figure out I need to stop partying and, and get on with my life. Wow, that's a really humble upbringing. And I think it's safe to say that his success was not handed to him. Kevin eventually ends up at SPS Payment Systems, which eventually turned into what we know today as Citibank. He started in collections and worked his way into a good management role. He was happy, he was content, he was ready to invest his life into the company. So um, that was the start of it. Met, met um, my wife, um, actually working at the Holiday Inn. She later came over to Taco John's and, you know, started building a family um, and actually moved into another trailer. <laughs> you know, out, out by Baltic. So I'm a two-time trailer guy, you know. Nice. Talk about two trailer parks um, in a lifetime. So um, moved out to Baltic, started a family, eventually moved into Sioux Falls, um, decided, you know, I needed to uh, uh, get into a more professional 
environment. Um, started in collections at SPS Payment Systems, which became um, the Associates Commerce Solutions, which is private banking, credit card. And, um, you know, so I worked in the collections department for them. They eventually became Citibank. So as I was working at Citibank, they, they, uh, the company, um, or uh, at the time was Associates Commerce Solutions. I always say Citibank because everybody recognizes Citibank. But they had a management training program. And in order to get into the management training program, you needed to um, go to college. So I started going to college, um, went to Huron University, which became Colorado Technical University. I'm bringing it way back. This is probably before <laughs> even your time, Josh. But um, so um, was seeking a business management degree um, at the time. So I got my degree and in business management, um, entered into the uh, management training program at, at the Associates and um, really was just enjoying working for a Fortune 500 company. Um, you know, I was part of steering committees, I was part of executive meetings. Um, I, I had input in the direction of the company. I mean, we managed cards like uh, Goodyear Tires, Gateway Computer Systems, Hellsberg Diamonds, you know, Fred Meyer, all these department stores. It was, it was you know, it was, a, it was a great work environment, I felt. Um, I felt like I was really making a, a change um, to an organization. I felt I was growing. I was working with executives, CEOs, and accountants, and um, managers of the business. And um, it felt like we were really steering the business. And um, I had multiple responsibilities. I worked in several departments, HR, um, bankruptcy, recovery, um, customer service, new counts. And, um, I really enjoyed it. My, my goal at that time, and this is probably the late 90s, was just really to uh, you know, live and die in that middle management and, and, and you know, hopefully aspire to you know, executive position with the company at the time. But I, I, was, I was willing to put in 20 years you know, or, or plus whatever it took. I mean, it's what my dad had done for the company he had worked for. And um, you know, that was kind of the, the mindset of I guess Generation X, you know, we didn't jump around so much. Today's podcast is brought to you by Web Laboratory. The average business owner spends up to 100 hours putting together their company website. Imagine 100 hours of new sales, new product research, customer experience, even 100 hours of Netflix. The possibilities are endless. But even more frustrating than the time that goes into building a website is the frustration of it not converting your visitors to customers. Web Laboratory meets the needs of small business owners to provide an easy, affordable, custom solution for your website. We listen to your needs and evaluate your budget to find a solution that works for you. Now you can get back to what you really want to do, run your business, or watch Netflix if that's your thing. Visit us online at weblaboratory.us. Yeah, we know it's not a .com weblaboratory.us or find us on Facebook at We Are Web Laboratory. As entrepreneurs or even someone thinking about starting a business, the thought of spending 20 years working for someone else seems daunting, if not downright miserable. But maybe if the culture is right, if the fit is good, maybe it's not so bad. So what happened? It became Citibank, and nothing against Citibank. I mean, you know, they're they're uh, they've done a 
a great job of it and I actually you know own their stock and it's done quite well this year but at the time um, when it was acquired when Associates was acquired by Citibank um, their format their business model was to take managers put them into supervisor roles to really just oversee a very um, uh, compressed and uh, uh, defined role and um, business model. So basically I went from being a manager um, of the company, you know, involved in many aspects of the company to a supervisor that was in charge of 20 people um, who, who all they did was, you know, make phone calls, customer service phone calls, collection calls, and you had four KPIs, you know, um, calls per an hour, you know, average work time, average hold time, you know, this and that. And it was, it, it was miserable. I mean, all my responsibilities were stripped from me. Um, never, you know, was, you know, uh, not part of any ongoing meetings um, or, or and, and input was not um, seeked out. And over time, you know, over, you know, six to 12 months of that, I, you know, every night I would just drive home and I'd be listening to Delilah on the, you know, on the radio at 10 o'clock at night, you know, staring up the stars as I'm driving to, you know, our trailer in Baltic thinking, what the hell was I put on this earth for? This is not it, you know, so depressed. He, he must have been depressed if he was listening to Delilah on late night radio to make himself feel better. I mean, I had two kids, um, very young, you know, three and five. Um, Delina was working, my wife was working, um, uh, a job in Sioux Falls making 10, 12 bucks an hour. I was making, you know, 40 grand, which was really good at the time. Um, and um, two cars, mortgage max, you know, second mortgage max, and, you know, had 401k. My wife just could not understand, you know, what, what I was thinking, you know, quitting the job and going to sell Dish Network. <laughs> You know, out out of a kiosk in the Empire Mall, and uh, you know, she just obviously her her vision and desires for the future were different than mine. You know, um, and, and uh, you know, I I I just I say I can't do this, and um, you know, it caused it caused a a huge strife between us um, for a long time, and you know, the first so I quit I quit Citibank, started a kiosk out in the Empire Mall. The real stress and pressures of entrepreneurship rears its ugly head in moments just like this, especially in marriage. Two young kids, a mortgage, debt payments, the works. I can speak from personal experience. It's not easy and it's not always fun. But was it really so bad at his corporate life? The misery of working for Citibank in that environment far outweighed you know, the financial risk and decimation to my lifestyle as it existed. Yeah, it's not, it wasn't noble, man. I mean, you know, I was just, my back was against the wall and I literally just could not um, imagine living, you know, and, and working in that environment for the rest of my life. You can tell that Kevin had his motivation. Things had to work. There was no going back. And things were moving along quickly for Kevin. Opened up the store on 41st Street, March 1st, um, 2002 and um, you know had a had a grand opening um, I, had, I had chosen you know a wireless carrier um, at the time Verizon was just burgeoning onto the scene and um, had my dish network 
Um, had some other electronic gadgets in the store, um, but it was mostly Dish and Verizon and call, was called Wireless Innovations. I remember the Verizon rep, Neela Abishan, was there. And, um, you know, we ordered pizza. We had a Raider remote, you know, Little Caesars came in. And literally, the remote from one to three that day, there was like one, one, one homeless guy that came in for the free pizza. And I'm like, here, man, take the whole thing, you know? So uh, it, was, it was dismal, to say the least, you know, um, of a grand opening. And really from there, Josh, it, you know, it was just head down every single day and night. I was the only employee working um, from, you know, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every single night, seven days a week. You know, I really, I really didn't believe in, you know, being closed on Sunday. And it was hard on my wife. Managing a business is hard and managing a relationship is hard. Managing a business and a relationship and kids at the same time it's nearly impossible. My fifth store was in Duluth, Minnesota, and uh, six and a half hours away, you know, driving. And a town of 100,000, and, and nobody wanted to go there because it was, you know, two and a half hours north of Minnesota or Minneapolis, and it was in the boonies. And none of the, the guys in the business wanted to go there because it was so far away from everything. And I'm like, money knows no boundaries. I will go there, you know? So I spent a lot of time in Duluth driving back and forth, you know, Monday through Thursday. I was on the road a, a lot. Um, and, um, you know, um, got, got up to about nine, 10 stores. And, you know, then the marriage really took a hit. Me and, uh, me and Delana, you know, I had obviously, you know, inferred that uh, it was rocky as I was starting the business. But then it got to the point where, you know, we, we separated. And uh, that was really tough. Um, financially, things were terrible. We, um, you know, we separated for three months, and um, you know, I thought, well, you know, after very uh, many attempts to get back together, recognized and realized, you know, I'm going to become my father and be go through a divorce, you know, and um, this is not what I wanted for me or my kids or my wife, my family, and um, but I, I reconciled with that. And, um, you know, got back into, you know, the extracurricular activities <laughs> while I'm going through this. And, um, you know, I'm sitting at a party one night. This is like four months later with my, my buddy, Ted, drinking a beer, beer on his patio. And um, Delina calls me. <clears throat> Delina calls me. And I answer the phone. And she's like, um... I want to get back together. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll be there in 20 minutes, you know? And um, that was the best thing that ever happened, being separated and made our relationship so much stronger. This is the most real and honest anyone has been with me on the podcast. Kevin opens up and shares a topic that's not talked about often, entrepreneurs and their marriages. I did a quick Google search on this, and while I couldn't find a hard statistic, the evidence was overwhelming. Entrepreneurs have the highest divorce rate out of any other profession, and it's easy to understand why. Needless to say, you know, 10 years later, I still focus too much on the business and sacrifice um, too much time away from, um, you know, uh, the family, but uh, I've, I've certainly worked towards seeking a balance, and... Uh, 
The one thing I am going to say, um, and it's probably a little controversial, but if you're going to sacrifice time away from your family, do it while your kids, you know, don't have the memory, right. you know, when they're young. So what is that? Three, four, you know, try to get it all done, you know. Well, of course, the wives out there, you know, the, the single moms or, you know, the mothers out there won't, you know, probably agree with that. But, you know, it's hard because it was hard, you know. But really, from my perspective, you know, kids need a father and they need to be there when, you know, when the, when, you know, obviously you should be there at all times. But, you know, from my perspective, it's better to sacrifice while they're young than, you know, when they have memories and they're like, where the hell's their dad at, you know. I honestly debated adding this part into the podcast at all. He's right, of course, this is a controversial topic, but I've had other entrepreneurs give me similar advice. I wonder how my wife feels about this statement. Anyway, by this time, Kevin gets the company, now called Z Wireless, to 30 or 40 stores. In my head, I'm thinking, you're crushing it. Um, financially, things were terrible. You know, I had grown the business so fast um, and, and so large that, um, you know, again, not having the accounting and finance piece to the, the business that's so important um, in place, having an outsourced third-party accountant, you know, bookkeeper actually, um, who wasn't keeping up, who really didn't understand what we were doing and, you know, we're getting our books two and three months late. And I didn't, I mean, you know, I get a P&L, I need a balance sheet. Do we have cash to buy phones and make payroll, you know, and rent? That was it. And we got to a point where, you know, we didn't have cash to buy phones to make payroll. And I mean, there wasn't even, there was a time, you know, back in the day where we paid commissions, right? Um, you know, plus regular payroll. And we usually got our commissions from Verizon, you know, the business commissions from Verizon on the 25th. And we had to pay the employees, you know, commissions on the 25th or 6th. So it was precarious. And I remember, I remember one of the gals from the back office called me and she said, Kevin, you know, we don't get our commission from Verizon until the 27th and we have to pay employee commissions on the 25th. And I'm like, shit, I'm standing on 41st and Louise in the FedEx parking lot. I can remember it to this day, you know, looking up the sky going, you know, you know, dear God, you know, what am I going to do? And I'm like, all right, here's what you do. <laughs> you, you send a note out and you say, due to um, recent changes, <laughs> we are going to need to you know, um, start paying commissions at the 30th of every month. <laughs> you know? So I didn't say recent laws, I just said recent changes. You know, trying to infer this was something other than you know, not having enough money. So we actually changed the employee commission date to, you know, to the 25th to the 30th, which, you know, bought us a couple more days um, to stretch our payable. And, um, you know, we made it, you know, and, um, but yeah, th there was, there were times like that. I mean, that was probably one of the most pivotal remembering um, back uh, experiences where I thought, you know, I'm not going to be able to, you know, work my way out of this, you know, I mean, so, I mean, it was scary. If you could see my face during this story, I looked like a Looney Tune character with my eyes bulging out of my head and my mouth on the floor. The wireless king, Kevin Tupi, was nearly broke. But as any successful entrepreneur knows, it takes perseverance and dedication and sacrifice to build a kingdom. But it does not come without mistakes and failures. 
from my perspective, there was, you know, there were certainly hires in, at the um, uh, leadership level that were failures. Um, you live and you learn um, on that. There were certainly stores that uh, we opened. Um, and that was probably the, the hardest thing for me was to recognize that we'd picked a location or a market like, you know, I don't know, Fairfield, Iowa, or, you know, some, you know, some real small town out in the Midwest where we thought we were going to succeed and didn't. You know, at that point, I was offered a, an opportunity in Minneapolis, a suburb, and um, maybe it was Woodbury or, or, or Blaine, I think it was Blaine. And I remember just sitting on the bed looking at the P&Ls and I'm like, Jesus, I've got five stores that are you know, losing money, six, seven stores that are making money. Another store that's gonna lose me money is gonna tip, it's gonna tip it. And I turned down that location. That's a failure. That was, that's a, it's one of the biggest failures um, is for me is turning down a location because I was scared of taking the risk. And it turned out to be whoever opened that store up. Um, did phenomenally successful. Oofda, that's gotta sting. Despite missing opportunities here and there, Kevin managed to capitalize on some major wins as well. After growing the business to 110 stores, he sold 60% of the company in a major acquisition. That's a big win. But I asked Kevin if he ever doubted himself or felt imposter syndrome. If you're like Kevin, he didn't know what that was, so I had to explain. Yeah, so imposter syndrome is this mindset that someone might get where they, they doubt themselves and they wonder, am I really the right person for this job? Am I really the best person to do what it is that I'm doing? That's, that's imposter syndrome. Okay, well, thank you for putting um, a label to that because <laughs> I, think, I think I might epitomize that. And, and here's why. You know, I worked, you know, my success has been based in wireless and I'm still in the business, by the way, I still own a chunk of the company, um, which is now called um, Victra Wireless. We're 1200 stores um, all through the United States. Um, but yeah, I do, uh, uh, I do have that feeling that I'm a one hit wonder. I've, I've always had that feeling and, uh, you know, people ask me why I do what I do, you know, starting, you know, companies from scratch like Phone and Fix and, you know, um, Car Swap and, you know, Planet Property. Um, all these businesses that I've started and, you know, work every day on, you know, which aren't really um, a blip in, in what I have financially. However, um, I need to prove, I need to prove that I can do it again, you know, and I will, I will, you know, and I've been successful in other business ventures. Um, but, uh, not to the extent I have with, um, Victra and, um, uh, that's what drives me because, um, I was talking to a gentleman yesterday about speaking in public and he was like, you gotta remember, Kevin, you're the expert. You've succeeded in business. You're speaking to people who, you know, um, are asking you to speak because they believe in you and what you've done. And I, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, you know, what if I'm, you know, just got really lucky, you know, what, what, what if I can't do this again? You know, am I an expert? I don't know. I don't know. In all my talks with various entrepreneurs, this is one of the most recurring themes, regardless of their background or their experience in their given field. 
Imposter syndrome is real, and it affects a lot of us. Kevin shared a bunch of insight in this interview, but mostly I love how real and how genuine he is. If you ever have the opportunity to meet with Kevin, you'll quickly see he is indeed one of the most genuine and caring people that you can meet. Trust me when I say that I passed judgments on Kevin before I first got together with him with coffee. I assume that, that guys like him with, with money and companies and private jets, that they were just pretentious jackasses. And maybe some of them are, but Kevin, it just isn't. If you want to learn more about Kevin Tupi and some of his business ventures, just search his name in Google. You'll quickly see some great articles from Jody Schwan of Sioux Falls.Business. Kevin is also active on Instagram with the handle at Gozy Wireless. And in just a few weeks, my company, Web Laboratory, will be setting his brand new website for his investment firm, Crescent Venture Capital, live. So make sure to look for that as well. Next week is our last official guest on season one. If you're a mom, you've likely heard about her store. We're speaking with Shelly Gaddis from the locally owned Elegant Mommy. To be perfectly honest, I thought it was crazy. 